Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. This week we are paying tribute to one of our fallen legends. We were surprised to hear a couple weeks ago that Larry Cohen passed on at the ripe old age of, I believe it was 82. When it was initially reported, it wasn't reported what he had died from. I think some family friends had mentioned cancer. Larry Cohen is pretty prolific. I don't know what your history is, Craig, or how much you know about Larry Cohen. Not much. He is a name that has popped up over and over and over again, you know, in movies that I've watched. You know, I always pay, have for many years paid attention to who the directors and who the writers and stuff are in films. And I was just surprised to find out Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen, Larry Cohen just kept popping up in so many times that I always wondered, are there multiple Larry Cohens? (laughs) Over the decades, like from the 60s all the way up through now. Um, this man is super prolific, yeah. mostly as a writer, but also a bit as a director. And to say that he is a horror guy is a little bit of a misnomer. He's just done so many different things. Mm-hmm. He started out in television uh, in the 60s. Actually, very interesting story. He started out as a page boy in NBC yep. and just bugged and bugged and bugged a guy, bringing him basically script after script after script that this guy asked for until he finally gave him a job. And he did. He wrote for a couple television series. Um, did a couple television series of his own and basically never stopped writing. This guy would write every single day. Uh, and even though his IMDb page is huge with credits, uh, apparently he wrote even more than that. There's all kinds of stuff that was never produced, scripts that he sold that for one reason or another didn't get made, or pilots for television series that he started that for one reason or another went, never went through. Um, really well known in the industry. is a super prolific guy. And not only that, but a super nice guy. I've just been so fascinated by him, just by the name. And surprisingly enough, I never really took the time to go through and read a lot about him. There is an amazing documentary out about him called King Cohen that came out last year, 2018. And I highly recommend it. I actually watched it this afternoon. It's about two hours long, and it's it's full of interviews with him and people that he's worked with. Talks about almost every movie that he ever did, and uh, really gives you this great impression of this guy who just freaking loved making movies. Total guerrilla filmmaker style. Most of the movies he made were extremely low budget, uh, and uh, as one of the people in there put it, in this interview is that Larry Cohen, the writer became Larry Cohen, the director to protect Larry Cohen, the writer Hmm. (laughs) so that he wouldn't be subject to the whims of somebody else making his movies. Although a lot of other people made his movies and then Larry Cohen, the director became Larry Cohen, the producer to protect Larry Cohen, the director. (laughs) This is a guy who wanted to make movies on his own terms, had his own wacky ideas for things. And basically was one of the very few people in Hollywood to become writer, producer, and director of his own material for most of his career. Like I said, whether he was writing scripts for other people, he always had a project or two in the works of his own. And uh, you can look at it, it's extremely prolific. And the movie that we decided to review today was one that I encountered on the shelves a lot in the horror section Mm -hmm. in the 80s called The Stuff from 1985. So I think we're going to talk about him within the context of this movie. Craig, had you ever seen The Stuff? Because I'd always wanted to see it, but I never did until today. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those weird things where, like you, I remember always seeing it on the shelves, and I don't know why I didn't pick it up. You know, I think 
I must have picked it up because I kind of had an idea of what it was about, and I think that that's kind of why I never watched it. Because when it boils down to it, it's about evil alien mind controlling Cool Whip, and uh, <laughs> basically, yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> that bubbles up out of the ground and makes people crazy yeah I I don't know, like, it's a little it's, nebulous isn't it <laughs> it's a it's a very bizarre concept from what i've read and i haven't read as much about him as you have i think that his purpose much of the time was to provide some sort of social commentary uh and i think that that's what he was going for here was commentary on consumerism and how especially americans but really you know it's it's worldwide that we allow consumerism to be a well potentially deadly influence uh, in our lives you know i read that he said that he was inspired to write this movie by seeing all of these stories about products that would come out that would be really sensational and would ultimately end up proving to be dangerous um, and and then would have to be pulled from the shelves and nonetheless there was high demand for these things when they would pop up and I think that that's what he was going for here and the movie is uh, described as a horror sci-fi comedy um, Mm -hmm. on IMDB and um, I don't don't know like this I'm conflicted because this is one of those things where you know we're trying to pay tribute to somebody who we have a lot of respect for because of their contributions um, to an industry that we respect and appreciate but uh, I I, I don't know how kind I can be about this movie frankly (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 pretty bad (laughs) yeah I have to agree with you I mean it's all over the place it's uh it's a weird movie it kind of defies description in a way although I'll tell you I was getting strong uh John Carpenter slash they live vibes here yeah yeah I see it you know it's kind of of the same or era it seems to be shot on the same film stock whereas John Carpenter maybe had a bit of a bigger budget to deal with and is maybe a better director uh, mm-hmm. than this guy. Nonetheless, the film ha- mines a lot of the similar material. There's a grand sort of conspiracy that involves aliens, and there's one guy who's essentially this FBI agent named Mo Rutherford who's called in, but it's not like he's a great guy. He No, he's a former FBI. F- he's been, he was kicked out of the FBI. That's right. And now he's working as an industrial saboteur. Like, that's his <laughs> job. <laughs> and he's played by Michael Moriarty, which I was kind of uh, excited about. Michael Moriarty was on, or maybe is still on, I don't know, Law and Order for, I think, decades. Oh, and, yeah. And so he's, he's a uh, very familiar face. I... I remember him from one of my favorite cheesy movies of the 80s, Troll. He was the dad in Troll. Oh, so that's right. As soon as I saw that he was in it, I was like, oh, that's cool. But he is just really hamming it up in this yeah. movie. You know, he's got this very stereotypical swagger southern accent that he plays the whole thing. And he just. I feel like he's almost playing a caricature of this kind of 
swaggy, you know, southern sheriff type. Oh, this is some place you got here, fella. Mm. This is, uh, gosh, let me, uh, that's a sweaty palm. That's two sweaty palms. Let me feel you. Ah, that's another sweaty palm. Yes, sir. Hello, sweaty palms. How do you do? So tell me about the stuff. I think it's supposed to be funny. And there were lots of times in the movie that I was taking notes. And at one point I wrote down, is this supposed to be funny? Like, <laughs> like I think that's what they were going for at some point. Oh, yeah. Like it was supposed to be comedic. And I just ended up feeling like it's it's not. It's not funny. It's It's really just kind of stupid um, and and I guess the part when I started to think oh this is really supposed to be funny um, was when the character of chocolate chip Charlie Hobbs showed up <laughs> played by Garrett Morris if I remember correctly one of the original cast members of Saturday Night Live uh, and he is a hilarious guy you know I've, I've seen I I was a baby when Saturday Night Live started out, but um, you know I've seen his stuff and and a very funny guy. And he he plays this you know over the top. I I'm sensitive about saying things because I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody, but kind of this you know over the top stereotypically flamboyant black guy. Yeah, and I can tell that he's a funny guy, and you know he puts everything into it. It just the comedy didn't work for me. And I don't know if that's due to me viewing it through the lens of 2019 when it came out in 1985. I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe I would have thought it was funny in 1985, but it just kind of missed the mark uh, for me. So I don't know. It was a head scratcher for me. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'm, not, I'm not real sure what you're going for here, and it's not really landing for me, but I don't know. I sat through the whole thing, so we can talk about it. <laughs> well, it's it's very high concept, you know. Again, I I was thinking they live. I was also thinking Halloween Part Three. Yeah, you know, yeah, with this yeah. evil corporation doing this thing that's a little ridiculous on its face, and yet there's something about those two other movies that works a little better, and they're a bit tongue in cheek as well. Yeah. Halloween 3 wants to be taken a little more seriously, I think. But um, They Live is obviously a a comedy. And I I think maybe just the characters are a little more charming in it. And even though they're at times hamming it up, there's just something about it that feels kind of fun. This movie feels a little bit like a made-for-TV movie that went on really, really long, doesn't it? Yes, yes, it does. It feels like a made-for-TV It looks like a made-for-TV yeah. movie. And there's, again, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I, I've enjoyed made-for-TV movies, so it's not like I just have negative feelings about them in general. But, yeah, it, it, it feels a little cheap, which it probably is. Uh, you know, he was probably working on a small budget. But then again... There are some big name folks. Paul Sorvino is mm-hmm. in this. He worked with Michael Moriarty on Law and Order. He's done all kinds of. He was in Goodfellas, I think. He, he looks like a stereotypical gangster type, and so you see him. You would totally recognize him if you looked him up. Danny Aiello, big name actor, makes a cameo yeah. in this. And then there are just some uh, small cameos. Gosh, one of my favorite ones. Okay, so. 
the movie starts out just really abruptly with these random guys who you have no idea who they are, these older guys that looks like they're on some sort of gosh, I don't know what, like a mining site or, or something. Yeah, it's supposed to be a mining operation. Yeah, and uh, this old white-haired guy just finds this stuff bubbling up out of the ground, literally stuff, this white stuff bubbling out of the ground. And, of course, as you would, the first thing that he does is tastes it because that's that's what I would do. If I saw some stuff <laughs> bubbling up out of the ground, I'd be like, I wonder what that tastes like. Whatever that could be, it's mighty good. Hmm. Harry, what are you doing? Eating snow? You out of your head, buddy. If this is snow, try it once. You'll find no, that No, I don't eat snow. Come on, give it a try. That's not snow. Try it. And, like, that's just, it It goes from there. All of a sudden, it's this huge industry where this stuff is just flying off the shelves. And we see these, like, ridiculous commercials for it accompanied by a, a, a great, hilarious theme song about how, you know, an enough is never enough eat the stuff i don't know it's very catchy the stuff the taste that makes you hungry for more enough is never enough the stuff taste that delivers <laughs> it's total 80s jingle and apparently Larry Cohen had a friend uh, who worked in the advertising industry and he actually hired him to write the jingle and do the commercials and everything for it and it totally shows I mean it looks like and feels like the kind of jingle you would have gotten yeah, like Big yeah. Red or something like that yeah from the 80s <laughs> I, th- I thought that was a highlight of the film actually oh yeah the the commercials were funny and that's what I was getting at and and I think you know I on the cast list on IMDB it says special guest star you know, for these commercials. And I, I think that everybody who appears in these commercials would have been recognizable to some people in the 1980s. But, like, there was one, and it doesn't happen until probably halfway through the movie, but um, there's a, a commercial starring Abe Vigoda, who was in a million things, but I always remember him as the grandpa from the Look Who's Talking movies, and Clara Peller, who was the Where's the Beef lady from the Wendy's commercials from the that ad campaign. <laughs> Wow, you're right. Oh my gosh. She she I can't believe you didn't notice that cuz she says, "Where's the stuff?" That's right. <laughs> Dude, that totally went by me. That's hilarious. And yeah, so you know, there's there's all these very recognizable people that pop up throughout and and so you would expect a movie with all these recognizable people to really have some clout and some quality, but it kind of ends there. And, and there were things that I I got excited because after they show how the stuff is becoming this big thing, um, then it cuts to this kid, Jason, played by Scott Bloom. I don't know if he's been in anything else, but he wakes up in his room and he's hot and itchy and he goes downstairs and he opens up his refrigerator and there's a container of the stuff in there. And literally this stuff is like... Cool Whip, or it looks like shaving cream or something. Yeah. It's kind of like ice cream, but like the big draw of it is that it never melts, and it, but it's moving around in his refrigerator. And then his dad, who's a big jerk, um, <laughs> comes down and, and yells at him, and he's like, no, Dad, it's bad, it moves. And his dad's like, well, I'm a jerk, so just go to bed, and he eats the stuff. So I'm thinking, oh, okay, great. This is going to be one of those... 
80s movies that I love that has, you know, a kid as as one of the central characters, like Troll or like... Um, Invaders from Mars. Invaders from Mars, you know, something like that. And there are elements of that throughout, but then it tries to be several other things too, and it just, it, it didn't feel focused. I don't, yeah. like, it just felt like it was all over the place, and I read that the original cut was much, much longer, and thank God somebody made Mr. Cohen uh, edit it down significantly and while i while i say thank god because i would not have wanted to watch two and a half or three hours of this it you can tell it seems really choppy you know it it seems like there are things that were missing that there are scenes that were cut that establish relationships and there's there's like a a love interest like mo the espionage guy has this love interest Nicole who is like the marketing director for the stuff and like they meet and then immediately they're just like boyfriend girlfriend in yeah. a relationship and I'm like wait, wait what 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 just happened like well it, it's... You, you just met in the last scene like I don't, even, <laughs> I don't understand but whatever and that doesn't even come for later i mean this movie moves so quickly i don't think i've ever seen a movie move so fast and you're right it's simply because it's it's so choppy uh it's not a good thing really that this movie moves so quickly because it does seem to lack focus it's like there are these three or four different threads going on they're sort of centered around this guy doing this investigation, but he just leaps so quickly from one thing to another that you're like 15 minutes into the movie and you think, gosh, I mean, it can't be much longer than this. It feels like I'm watching a long episode of something. Yeah. You know, on TV. Well, and that's ultimately what I thought, too. Like, I, I thought that the concept might have been interesting and might have worked better in shorter form. Like, mm. if this had been an episode of The Twilight Zone and it was like 25 minutes. I think that there's some interesting stuff that could be mined from this movie and mined from the concept, but in this form, uh, no, it just, yeah. <laughs> it was too much. Well, you kind of could have cut out the kid entirely because the whole idea, and again, hopefully there was a lot more that, that you know made this flow better, but this whole idea that this one kid is the only one who is noticing something is really off about this stuff in the whole wide world, basically. Right, right. It's kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, he goes ape, and the, there's a whole, there's a really long scene of him going yeah. ape in the supermarket, and the stuff <laughs> is everywhere. And it's actually, you can tell, like, it's almost naked gun funny in a way because because everywhere he turns, every single aisle, the stuff is there. Like at one moment, you think the stuff needs to be refrigerated, but then he, he, you know, after he finishes smashing the refrigerator and knocking all the stuff out, he runs down the freezer aisle and he's knocking all the stuff from uh-huh. its perch on the freezer. And then when he gets to the end of it, there's like a couple of employees who are stacking it, like the on the shelves, the, on right? The shelves. Yeah, and he, and yeah, like making a big like. I don't know, tower out of it, yeah. He knocks that down and all that. And then throughout the movie, the stuff, it's it's comically present every single place you can go. Um, to the point where there's like a little like a little Dairy Queen-esque type stand sitting outside. Yeah. And he pulls up and he's looking at it and he goes, wow, 3 a.m. And 
people are still going nuts to buy this stuff. And I'm thinking, what are these guys doing? It looks like they're just popping open the lids of this and sticking a spoon in it and giving it to people. Yeah, and like it comes, it's so funny because it comes in tubs and, and all the tubs are, you know, they're branded the same and it's very simple, very 80s. There's like individual serving tubs and then there's like huge, like family sized tubs and like just it's, everywhere and it's also funny in the movie because these tubs of the stuff are everywhere and and the characters are you know playing with them and manipulating them and doing things and more often than not it's so painfully obvious that these are just empty cool whip containers i mean like that's all they are like they'll they'll like put them down on the table and you can hear like the hollow plastic thud like there's nothing in there (laughs) (laughs) well and then the form that it takes uh you know on the screen the special effects in this movie are 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 not fantastic but they're serviceable um well there are there are places when they're bad oh yeah there are a couple of times when they were clearly doing stuff with green screens or i don't know like post animation and there are sometimes when they are serviceable there's one scene in particular in a motel room where when the stuff attacks like and god just saying that sounds so stupid like yeah like they're all all of a sudden being attacked by shaving cream like it it's stupid but there's one scene in a motel room where there's some cool stuff going on and like they used a rotating set the same rotating set i guess that they used in uh nightmare on elm street for johnny depp's death scene when he gets sucked into his bed and the blood all you know shoots out of his bed and stuff and you can see that they made something with that resource that they had that looked pretty good yeah it did but uh there are other parts that uh oh gosh it just looks terrible <laughs> especially at the end the final the stuff attack scene. I don't know. It's goofy. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm getting off track. <laughs> no, well, it's easy to get off track because the movie gets off track. I mean, it's all over the place. And and then there are times, like you say, where it feels like the blob, right? It's this. Yes. It's this giant. There are scenes where there are obviously miniatures of this stuff, you know, pouring down the staircase and coming inside or, or whatever. But, um, you know, it can just as easily just sit in tubs and people ingest it. And, and then... I don't know. You know, it's like, do you have to eat so much of it before it really starts to have an effect on you? You would think the whole world by this point would basically be a bunch of zombies because at times that's how these people are. Right. There's a scene when the when the boy comes home to his family and he's the only one in his family's refused to eat this. Meanwhile, his whole family's kind of gone mad with it and uh, sends him to his room because he's, you know, refusing to eat it basically uh, and mm-hmm. causing so much trouble. And when he comes downstairs, there's this pretty funny scene. Actually, it's the, the I thought it was the best scene in the movie. He comes downstairs first of all and his brother's playing ColecoVision which was awesome because <laughs> <laughs> I used to have a ColecoVision uh, anyway and he's playing ColecoVision his whole family's sitting around each one of them have a tub of this and his dad turns to him and is co- trying to coerce him into, into eating it and there's a shot on his dad and he's smiling almost straight into the camera and he's delivering almost in an announcer voice this hilarious ad for the stuff here Jason take some you know what I said about that. That was the truth. And you know that there is something alive in there. Jason, I mean, there's something alive in yogurt. It's called benign bacteria. Yes, 
I mean, there's something alive in a loaf of bread. It's yeast. I mean, that's a living organism. Mm-hmm, we yeah. eat plenty of things that are still alive that are good for us. I know that, but that was moving. All microorganisms move, Jason. I mean, if you could see them with the naked eye. Yeah. I mean, under a microscope, you can see them move. So what's the difference? They're good for us, Jason. They kill the bad things inside us. I thought that was so funny. Doesn't the sun even say something like, why are you talking like a commercial? (laughs) (laughs) So on the one hand, this stuff makes people kind of this way, like I guess turns them into emissaries of its evilness to spread around. And then there are moments where, for example, um, you were talking earlier about um, Danny Aiello's character. IAO's character. And he was a former FDA. He was on the FDA board or whatever when they approved this. Yeah. And uh, then mysteriously, every single person who was on the FDA board when they approved this resigned or left, uh, went on vacation and whatnot. Mo Rutherford comes to his house and he has this Doberman pincher. Isn't that right? Was that the dog? Yeah, it was a Doberman, I think. Which was the, you know, the go-to scary dog of the 80s, basically. Yeah. He comments that his dog really, he's really scared of his dog. Why Why is Why is your owner scared of you? Uh, and when Mo leaves, it turns out that the dog has been eating so much of this stuff that it, it pulls, it yanks the phone line <laughs> out of <Yeah>. the wall <laughs> and Hilarious. attacks him. And then... Somehow he he regurgitates a whole bunch. Like people will regurgitate this stuff, like it's coming out of them. Yeah, you I know. They're and dead, like, and the, they're not. And uh, it's so bizarre. The writing, yeah, I know. It, it is bizarre because it's as though you know they're ingesting all this stuff, and then it kind of either mind controls them. I mean, I guess it kind of has to be mind control, uh, but like it also kind of controls kind of their bodies or whatever. And the the suggestion seems to be that, like, their bodies are literally full of it. Mm. And it, at some point, somebody says something. I think it's the chocolate chip Charlie <laughs> says. <laughs> I've seen what it does to people, and I've seen the aftermath. I've seen what people look like when it's done with them and when it comes out. So I like I and and at another point Mo says to somebody are you eating it or is it eating you? So I think that the suggestion is supposed to be that maybe it's kind of eating people from the inside, but it's it's bizarre and it's also weird because yes, in these moments that I think are supposed to be the scary moments it comes out of people and it comes out of their mouths and there are these ridiculous and bad special effects now to be fair they're practical which i appreciate mm. um but they don't look that great but like their mouths stretch way 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 open for the stuff to come out why it's just <laughs> cool whip like why does your why does your mouth have to be like a big gaping cavern for it to come out like it could just come out um, but i guess that wouldn't look as cool because it looks freaky craig that's why that's why. i guess all right i'm down <laughs> well and then there are times when like the army ends up getting involved paul servino's character uh, oh my gosh again this movie's all over the place but to kind of shorten it up mo rutherford ends up going tracking down the stuff he tracks down the town where it was originally discovered and goes to the company that produces it which was originally a mining company but now all it's doing is basically pulling the stuff out of the ground and 
but he meets up with that woman that you said earlier was the advertising executive. Nicole, who, by the, yeah. Who, by the way, comes across as a total slut from the very, very beginning. Yeah. <laughs> he approaches her while she's shooting a commercial, which was the second best scene in the movie. For yeah. Me. I was watching this with my wife, and as soon as this commercial shooting scene came on, she just busted out laughing. We were so enjoying it so much. They've got these supermodels that are it's hilarious. walking down the catwalk. It's supposed to be eating the stuff, and she's giving directions. All right, now you absolutely love it. Now feed it to each other. Yeah. And they're wearing s- swimming suits with furs over them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. And the models look like they couldn't possibly be more bored or unhappy to yes. be there. <laughs> it's so true. Oh, it was re- and like, you're right. She is giving them the directions like, ooh, you love it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, now take another bite. And they're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're they're half awake like yeah oh my god i can't believe i'm doing this you were saying i do like to see a woman with decision pick your favorite restaurant mm, where are you staying sherry netherlands do they have room service at the sherry netherlands <laughs> uh, my limousine's just outside so is mine I bet mine's bigger than yours. Yeah, that was that was funny. But you, as you're saying, okay, so then they go here, and then they go here, and then they go here. Like, that's it. Like, that's literally it. Like, yeah. we follow Mo around as he just hops from place to place. Let's go to the old mining place. Let's go to the town where they found it. No, there's nobody here. Okay, let's fly to D.C. Like, <laughs> and that's it. And then, you know, they spend five minutes in every new place, and they do something, and they, they tour the stuff factory, or they get attacked by evil postmen. And, like, episodic isn't even the right way to describe it. Mm. But, like, every few minutes, they're just hopping around, going somewhere else, and they all just conveniently keep bumping into each other. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the kid, Jason, just kind of randomly happens to show up every once in a while and so then they're kind of like a little scooby gang with nicole and jason and mo and but then they'll get separated no no jason's in peril but not for long we found him and now he's back with us and Mm -hmm. oh my god and that's just how it goes for over an hour like most of the movie yeah, and then at the, at the at the end of it, you know, they 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 end up where they're pulling the stuff out of the ground. He sets off some plastic explosives to try to bury it, but of course that's not going to work for very long and they all escape. And then as they escape, you know, the kids like, "Where are we going to go? There's a small town up ahead." And he's like, "No, they control the small towns. We need to go to a big city where they can't control it." And then finally it's morning and they're still driving in this big semi. Yeah, I but that was so f- Okay, so first of all, they you know, get to this little town. Jason's like, Hey, look, there's a town up ahead. I'm going to bypass it. It's too small. They probably control it. We'd never get out of there. Then where do we go, David? We go to a large city, and they can't control it. We'd have a chance. And then they drive right through town. That's not what circumvent means. <laughs> I don't understand. And then he says, oh, we got to go to a big city. But first, I'm going to stop at this castle. Yes. What? In the like... middle of nowhere. <laughs> and and at this castle, there's an army laying in wait, like in the reeds or whatever, that pops out. And I didn't even understand. So then he goes, this is when he meets the 
uh, Paul Sorvino character, Colonel Spears, who apparently lives in this castle and is protected by his own army. Yeah. Because I I didn't get... I, I think that his character was supposed to be an ex-military guy. Yeah. But now he has, like, his own private army. He's that... got, like, a little militia. I think he's, he's like, a super conspiracy theorist kind of thing, so he's got his own little militia, I guess, just sitting around waiting for stuff to happen out in the middle of nowhere around his little castle. Yeah. It's so bizarre. I know. And, and like, they... He, so Mo goes up and meets him in this huge tower in this castle, and he's like... Well, yeah, I just thought I'd stop by to tell you that I have videotapes of you and a 17-year-old black girl. What? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, uh, I just wanted to tell you. Like, what? (laughs) Oh, gosh. And, And, like, so he's there to ask for his help, but I guess his way of going about that is to, like, blackmail him, threaten him. and Blackmail him. Uh, But that's okay, because then, you know, the... The colonel's like, I will help you. <laughs> and, then he, and then he joins the Scooby gang, and he's got his whole army, and then they, like, invade, they invade. the factory. Well, and when they're shooting up everybody, like, they're bleeding stuff. So it's like you said earlier, it, it, it's so weird. Like And, he, like, they'll... They'll punch somebody, and their whole face will break off, and the <laughs> stuff will come pouring out of it. I just don't. I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> it makes but, it okay. not a very gory movie. I'm not even sure why it's rated R. To be honest, uh, no, I didn't even realize it was. No, it, it definitely felt like something that they could you could easily play on, you know, afternoon cable you know there's there's nothing there's no sex in it i don't recall there being much swearing in it if any and and the the violence and the carnage looks so fake that i can't imagine that anybody would be oh yeah disturbed by it i mean it doesn't look real at all and like you said there's there's no blood you know just the white marshmallow goo comes out of them Well, even the action scenes are poorly executed. Like, basically, Mo Rutherford, all he does is run around and punch people in the face. They fall backwards, and they're not a threat anymore. (laughs) Oh, my God. My favorite part of the movie was when they were in the small town, I think, where the stuff originated or something like that. And he meets up with Chocolate Chip Charlie. I love saying that. And um, (laughs) at first, there's nobody in the town. And then all of a sudden, they're attacked by this big, you know, group of goons. And they run away and they escape in a rowboat. And. And, and like, they, they all these big guys are chasing them, and they're like, get in the boat! And it's literally a rowboat. A rowboat. It's, there's yeah. no boat. <laughs> and, and one of the guys that's chasing them jumps in the water like he's chasing them, and then pushes them off, and then falls in the water like, oh, darn it! <laughs> and then, so they float slowly away off screen in this rowboat, and then they're just... In a bar somewhere else, like, whoo, thank God we got away. Yeah. <laughs> like, thank God we rode to this other town. <laughs> <laughs> we missed that sequence when they were rowing down the river. <laughs> so much cut out of this movie, I'm sure. This is pretty typical Larry Cohen stuff, though, you know, and one thing that, you know, he's pretty admired for was he was his own guy, and he would 
he was a probably one of the one of the ultimate renegade filmmakers shot very guerrilla style his movies were very very cheap but he he had a knack for finding older out of work actors like you know people who had won academy awards in the past who were hard working extremely talented actors and actresses who were just older and nobody wanted to hire him anymore and so he'd be like mm. well hell these guys won oscars i'm going to i'm going to get them for my movie and so he could get these people really cheap one of the last people he got for his movies was betty davis back in the late 80s betty davis mid 80s betty davis was on television a lot touring these talk shows and he's watching TV and he's thinking, my gosh, this woman, the only reason she's out there doing all these talk shows is she clearly wants work. And so I'll write something for her and he just literally will sit down and write a script in several days and he wrote a script called Wicked Stepmother. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and this is at the time Betty Davis was really suffering from cancer, although nobody knew it at that time, but she just... You know, she never looked fantastic as she got older, but she was just extremely gaunt and extremely just kind of looked like she was maybe nearing the end of her life. And she plays in this movie, and apparently midway through or so, she up and left. She made some excuse that she had to go, and she just didn't come back. Uh, and uh, her, ex- I can't remember what her excuses were, something about health or whatever, but it turned out that he, he accidentally let her see a couple of the dailies, and she didn't like what how she looked in them. She, apparently she had dentures uh, in and they kept falling out Oh, and so you know she was just really really embarrassed by it and she just kind of left the movie and so he rewrote a lot of stuff and reworked it so that they could finish the movie and release the movie even though half of her scenes hadn't been shot he just gave a lot of it to the other female character and changed the plot yeah. around a little bit I was going to say I, I, I feel like I've read about this too and, and I could be wrong because I, I didn't you know, look this up. I didn't know you were going to bring it up, but I, I feel like, did he recast the role or, or rewrite no. the script so that, so that her character was then being played by a different actress? I don't know. No, he just, you know, kind of reworked the footage that he had with, you know, finished shooting the movie in a different way with, with a different sort of script. And he would do this, you know, he actually didn't like to prepare a lot. And this is one thing that a lot of actors and and movie makers said about Larry Cohen, they said one of the really refreshing and fun things about working with him is he had a lot of trust and gave his cast and crew a lot of control. So even though he would be writing the script and he'd be directing it, if somebody had a cool idea, he'd go with it. Uh, or he'd even say to an actor, like, let's do this or let's do that. He came out of a time when writers were very respected and for example in the tv world when he, you know back in the 60s when he was involved in television production he said writers were on the set all the time it was part of their job they would come to the set because there would always need to be rewrites the writers were very much a collaborative part of the process whereas it seems like now writers are very much shut out you know to even get a script that's written by one writer and hasn't been doctored up you know by 15 in the meantime is kind of rare and so he very much had that spirit when he was working on the movies. And that's why actors really liked working with him so much as he let them take risks and they felt like they were in good hands. Oh, I don't know. Watching this movie, you kind of wonder a little bit, right? But yeah, Michael Moriarty loved working with him. They worked together a lot and he even kind of gave Michael Moriarty his start and they ended up working really well together. And Michael Moriarty had a lot of fantastic things to say about how he really allowed him to stretch himself as an actor, try these sort of things that he wouldn't normally have tried. And even the character of Mo Rutherford he really enjoyed doing. Um, huh. So, you know, I mean, 
uh, he has that reputation. But anyway, yeah, so a lot of his movies have all these famous people in them. Some of them kind of past their prime or some of them whatever, but he was able to get them really, really cheap because of it. So he could put together a movie with this sort of high production value. And the other way that he would get production value with his movies is he would just go out and steal shots. You know, when you're out shooting a, a film, normally the right way to do is to go and get permits. Yeah. Right? Everywhere you're going to shoot, you have to get a permit and go. But you can always just go out without a permit and hope you don't get caught. And he would do this all the time. Like with most of his movies, get these insane situations where he would hide cameras everywhere and just go out in the streets of New York and do this elaborate scene where he did a couple black exploitation movies where a cop shoots a black man in the middle of an intersection like New York City. And he filmed this from multiple angles from cameras that were kind of hidden right out there in the crowd and just see how people walking by would react and that would be included in the movie. And so like you see that that in this film, even though most of these locations are a little more isolated, you can see that they had that control. You can still, still see this kind of for worse, I think, in this movie. But, you know, whatever. It's like he's clearly got a very small budget he's working with. He's trying to do the best that he can with that budget that he has. And he's got a rowboat instead of a boat with a motor and so they're trying to make it work <laughs> you know and mm. it, kind of, it ends up looking a little silly in this movie and i think this is probably not one of his best i would say well yeah i mean a lot of what you said about you know writers kind of being shut out i mean i, I think he from what i've read he experienced that as well and and yep. he really was more prolific um, as a writer than than he was as a director. I mean, he was a, a jack-of-all-trades. He was a writer, director, producer. But I, it, it appears, based on the very little research that I've done, that he was really kind of well-respected for his writing. And um, But, like, uh, he did... Uh, I think it was a television show called The Invaders that was um, pretty successful. But he wrote the initial treatment for it, and I don't know, you know, maybe the pilot or some of the initial episodes and then eventually he was just kind of shut out and um he said that had it been up to him creatively he would have probably taken it in a different direction now whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing i don't know but um i you know i I just read that he had kind of experienced some of those things too and it's great that some people i've also read that he was quite the character now i don't that could mean any number of things um i i know that uh he didn't actually write in a physical sense his stuff he dictated everything into a uh tape recorder um as opposed to physically writing it or or typing it up or or whatever which is how rod serling worked actually yeah i was gonna say it's not that that's terribly bizarre but you know a little quirky but uh garrett morris chocolate chip charlie was uh, at some point much later asked about this film and uh he said that the production was just crazy and he was asked specifically about larry cohen his director um and his response was uh i was taught growing up that if you don't have something nice to say about someone don't say anything at all and he wouldn't comment any further so not everybody (laughs) enjoyed their experience with him as much as maybe michael moriarty did oh for sure um but you know that's the there's nothing wrong especially in hollywood with being unique and quirky and different uh it's it's actually 
nice and and refreshing. So yeah, um, I'll give him I'll give him credit for that. I, it, it, this movie may not have been my cup of tea, but um, I appreciate somebody who's willing to you know step outside the box i've certainly never seen another movie like this he's certainly <laughs> not relying on you know popular or common tropes it's it's different it's a risk it, it doesn't work for me but you know more power to you and that was one thing that um, a lot of people said about him again if you're at all interested in this man you should really watch this documentary called king Co- king cohen it's like a takeoff of King Kong. It's it's so mm-hmm. interesting, and a lot of things that they credit him with is just having this incredible imagination. Like, he was an idea guy. He had these high-concept ideas, sort of before high-concept movies and high-concept television series were a thing. Something like Lost comes along, seems like something he would, he would have written. Yeah. Um, even, like, The Invaders apparently had a little bit of that vibe and that bent to it, and Hollywood just couldn't take it. You know, television couldn't take it at the time. They, they said no, this is a little too out there. People aren't going to go with it. You need to get a little more traditional. But Mm -hmm. the very first movie he directed in 1972 was called Bone, and it was one of the first quote-unquote exploitation movies. Mm -hmm. He had a black actor in here, uh, and it's this whole deal, and it's it's, it's violent, and it's exciting, and whatever. The guy who starred in that, now his name is Yafet Koto. He's not a household name. But if you saw him, you would recognize him from a lot of films uh, of the time. And then later on, right after this, uh, he did a movie called Black Caesar for, uh, starring Fred Williamson. And Fred Williamson is huge, especially, you know, got his start in the black exploitation. He's been working for forever. Uh, and he's a bit of a character himself. But they both said, look, this guy basically busted open the doors for us. They, he didn't start the black exploitation genre. Right. But he's one of those people who said, I don't care. We're going to do this and it's going to be fun. And, I, you know, he Larry Cohen said, every movie is an exploitation movie. So I don't get the whole notion of black exploitation or whatever you have a bunch of black actors in a movie and you're doing something about gang violence or whatever that's just what it is and uh you know he did those kind of movies kind of a bit ahead of his time mm-hmm. and one movie that we did you know was uh it's alive which uh-huh. was hugely controversial when it came out yeah. this idea that this killer bit it's a laughable now because almost anything goes but at that time this notion that there'd be a movie about a killer baby was extremely offensive he had a really hard time getting someone to distribute it, and just through his relentless persistence, it came out, and it was quite successful and spawned a few sequels. Yeah. So, you know, he just always seemed to be maybe just a little bit too ahead of his time in some ways, but with a guy like this, right, who's doing all this stuff and taking all these risks, not everything is going to hit, right? And it seems like this is one of those movies <laughs> that just <laughs> just didn't really work. Well, right, but you mentioned something like It's Alive, which ultimately, on paper, it shouldn't have worked, I, I don't think. But we watched it, and we actually thought that it was, I mean, not in execution, not amazing, but I think that both of us cried at the end of it. Yeah. <laughs> like, we were impressed with know, the, the depth it, in it, actually, weren't we? Yeah, right, and it was subversive, you know, it. it I, I think, and again... With social commentary, I think that it was commentary on the dangers of the pharmaceutical industry, which was a big deal at the in the eighties when when it came out, and um, I think that there was uh, you know commentary there also on uh, the notion of abortion, and you know he had something to say, and, and he did it in a different 
an interesting way. And that movie, again, you know, it's a B movie. But uh, Cohen himself, I read a quote he said somewhere, these big blockbuster A movies are going to fade into oblivion because people are going to stop talking about them. It's the B movies that do something interesting and subversive that people are going to continue to talk about for a long time. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if that's accurate, but... I think that he has a point, you know, to do something that is different, that, that people, that is going to have people buzzing and, and talking and, you know, here we are, 2019 <laughs> and we're talking about a, you know, a, an evil ice cream movie. Not a, not a great <laughs> evil ice cream movie, but there has never been an evil ice cream movie before or since. Right. So, right. There's that, <laughs> There's a movie that he did uh, in 1976 called God Told Me To. Have you heard of this film? Uh, I don't think so. I I encountered it in a bargain bin type. It was like a a DVD in a dollar store bin, but I read the synopsis on the back and I was really intrigued by it because it was this, um, sounded cool. It's about these, you know, people, these murders or whatever that are happening. These crazy people are killing people in the city. And when they're encountered, they basically say, God told me to do it. And then they kill themselves. And I thought, oh, this is interesting, you know, kind of unraveling this mystery of what's going on here. It's this kind of weird cult thing. And about halfway through this movie, it takes a total left turn and becomes so whacked out that it's almost impossible to describe. <laughs> and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who's watching it, but it's just like, I mean, it's just insane that anybody would make this movie. Again, very high concept and and really interesting. And just like It Lives, one thing that really struck us about that movie was that even though uh, it had that element of the killer baby and all that, you know, we cried by the end because there was this subtext. It was this father coming to terms with his son. Right. And that was really touching, um, really emotionally touching. And in this God told me to, it's also a little bit about this guy coming to terms with faith and kind of has these ideas as far as like the nature of God and stuff like that and belief and and religion and things that that ends up in the middle of this crazy plot that has this sort of Jesus-like character with a vagina on the side of him. Oh my gosh. It's just so crazy. You've just got to see it to believe it. Like, at the end of the day, there are just some elements in there that kind of stick with you. And so there are times when I feel like he really had a good handle on character. And I just didn't feel like this. It just felt like maybe there's just too much cut out of this movie. For I'd like to give him that credit. You know, maybe there was he had something, a kernel of that in this movie that just is completely lost. I just felt like this movie was like all plot and very little substance. You know, it had this yeah. social commentary on it, which was fun and funny um, and at times executed very well. But it was it, you know, it was kind of all surface and didn't have any of that other trademark stuff that his movies often have. Well, and I can't say that I, I don't know, I I don't want to be too tough on it. I can't say that I enjoyed much of it at all, but I really felt like it really fell apart at the end. Like, I felt like the last 15 minutes, it, it seemed to me like they were trying really hard for the comedy at the end, and it was just falling totally flat for me. I mean, you know... They think they've defeated the stuff at this factory, and they're you know, trying to get the word out to people. So they're at this radio station, and Chocolate Chip Charlie shows up, and it turns out that he's infected by the stuff, and his head explodes, and the stuff chases whatever her name is, Nicole. And they somehow find out that the only way to neutralize it is to burn it. And at one point, Michael Moriarty's character 
cuts in half this enormous electrical wire and this was <laughs> the part with the special effects that I said were really really bad. Oh, they were horrible. He jumps up and he electrocutes it. And there's another part too where uh the stuff <laughs> I know what you're going to say. It jumps on his face. Yes. Then Nicole's idea to rescue him is to set his head on fire. <laughs> it's to burn it off of him. Yeah, like that. <laughs> I, I know. Hold on, hold on. I'm going to set your head on fire. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking that too. I was like, oh my gosh. Well, this isn't going to end well for anybody, but nary a scratch on him or his hair piece. Oh, no. Yeah, no. He's totally fine. But it goes, I felt like it was totally going for the comedy. At the end and it just didn't work for me and then the last scene was like okay so mo the main guy approaches like the the ceos who were funding the stuff and he goes to them and they tell him that they are going to rebrand it as uh the taste, the taste. <laughs> yeah and and it's only going to have you know a certain percentage of the stuff in it not enough you know to cause people harm or whatever and he's like oh well I'm going to force you at gunpoint with this little kid. Jason shows up too. He's like, we, the two of us are badasses and we're going to force you to eat cases and cases of the stuff until you die. And then they do. And then that's the end. <laughs> like, it just seemed like such a weird yeah, change in character. Like all of a sudden he's this wicked badass. Who's just totally down with, killing people now granted they're bad people i guess you know they they represent the corporate greed and blah blah but you and your child sidekick are just gonna go around and kill people i don't know it was weird and that's it then it's over except for nicole delivers an epilogue <laughs> like yeah. it's so weird yeah and there's there's a scene, I'm trying to think if it's in the version that you saw, where there was sort of a black market thing. Like it yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, it's just never ending. And, <laughs> I mean, I it's know like that's... crack now. Like, yeah, like shady people in alleyways are, like, receiving shipments of it. And, like, it, it's, you know, it's in the 80s, you would always see in the movies when they would get, like, a shipment of heroin or cocaine or whatever, and somebody would lick their finger and, like, stick it in there and taste it. Like, okay, yeah, it's good. This is like, the real stuff. Yeah. yeah, right, like they're doing that with the stuff. Like uh -huh. Cause this is so cuz this is so appealing, right? I mean, you can right. really, we, we don't really see the pleasure that this brings. I mean, they think it tastes great. That's about it. It's not like it throws them into throngs of ecstasy that we can see. But, well, uh, I don't know. It there are suggestions like it gives people a lot of energy and they don't have to eat anything else and the and mom they lose at one weight. point. Yeah, the mom's like, "I've already lost 5 pounds this week and I feel great." Like, <laughs> and so that, stupid. And that in itself is part of the parody, right? You know, these products yeah. that are supposed to do absolutely everything for you, and there's nothing bad right, about right. it. And it turns out they're killing us, as we find right. out so many times. It's like o Olestra. Remember, yeah. remember Olestra? <laughs> like, here, it's good for you. It's really, really low fat. It'll cause you to leak out of your butthole, but... <laughs> That's all right. Don't worry about it. Dude, I love the Lestra. <laughs> Nothing ever leaked out of my butthole, but I never tasted Doritos so good and so guilt-free as when I was eating the Lestra Doritos. I'm glad I was born at a time. Anyway. No, but like, you know, that's kind of the thing, right? It's got to end in this way that the corporate corporation eventually wins out. You know, I mean, that it makes sense that 
it's never over because it is never over. That's part of the commentary, right? Right. Like, you can't ever get away from these guys. But a movie like, for example, They Live, uh-huh. just does it in a more satisfying way. Like, at the end, yeah, the corporation does win out, but he gets to take out a whole bunch of them at the end, and he sticks a big middle finger up and is like, F you, you know? Yeah, While yeah. he's going out, and there's just something really exciting and fun about that way of ending it, that this movie, it just didn't, it just kind of fizzled. Yeah. You know, it just wasn't as fun. Plus, we were all just, I don't know, but like you said, I was so ready for this movie to be over. By the time it was over, it's like, oh, God, there's definitely. another scene. Oh, okay. Oh, God, there's another scene. Oh, okay. Oh, there's this little epilogue. Credits, please. Good. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. How many times do we do this, Craig? We give, <laughs> we, we do I know. these tribute it's episodes awful. for people. I feel really guilty about it. Oh, we pick these movies. Nonetheless, Mr. Cohen, uh, you know, I, I still have <laughs> mad respect for a guy who, you know, was uh, kind of, you know, this gonzo player uh, in the industry. And obviously he was doing something right because he was prolific. He worked all the time. People had a lot of respect for him, as do I. So maybe we just picked the wrong movie. Maybe yeah. we should have done... God told me to do it, um, or cue the winged serpent or something. <laughs> I think that I think that we picked this one because it was so familiar to us, being kids of the eighties, uh, and and we had never seen it, and we wanted to see it. Yeah, we wanted to see it. I wanted to see it, and I'm glad I saw it. I don't ever need to see it again, but you know, mm. now I've seen it, and uh, it, it it is what it is. I. I do not mean to speak ill of the dead. I mean no disrespect. I have a lot of respect for this guy, but uh, I, I can't say that I can give this movie any glowing recommendation. No, me neither. Me neither. Go go check out another one. Go check out It Lives. That one yeah. kind of gets the flavor of what, what, what's going on in this movie, but it does it in a much more satisfying way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for listening to another episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it with a friend. You can find us on Facebook if you just search for Two Guys and a Chainsaw. You can also find us at our webpage where you can stream our episodes live and visit all of our back catalog, twoguys.red40net.com. Of course, you can also find us uh, anywhere you can find podcasts. Once again, Two Guys and a Chainsaw is who we are. And if you like what you heard, please drop us a note on our webpage. You can go to our Facebook page, uh, give us some requests, let us know what you thought of this movie. We love hearing from our listeners. Until next time, I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. With two guys and a chainsaw. Ah.